Hello, and thank you for listening to the Altwire podcast. I'm your host, Derek Oswald, and in this week's episode, we're joined by multi-instrumentalist Jason Singer. Jason, better known as Michigander, has been performing since 2014 and just recently released his new EP, It'll Never Be the Same. Join us as we discuss a slew of topics, including his new EP, his experiences during the pandemic, his influences, and a whole lot more. So buckle up and get ready for another episode of the Altwire Podcast. The Altwire Podcast starts now. Thank you for joining us today, Jason. How are you doing today? Doing great. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm actually excited to finally get a chance to hear your EP. I understand that it was supposed to be released last year, but an unfortunate mishap happened on the set of one of your music videos. Yeah. (laughs) Could you kind of give us a backstory on what happened with that? Totally. I was shooting a music video in a place called Angela's Crest, which is in the mountains outside of Los Angeles, a little north of Pasadena. And uh, everything was going great. Very funny music video in progress. A lot of good laughs, a lot of good times. But then I walked a little bit away and I slipped on some brush and I fell and I thought I rolled my ankle, but turns out I broke my leg in three places. Ouch. So I had to be, yeah, no cell service. So somebody had to go get the Rangers and they rescued me from the Valley of the Mountains, which maybe will be an album title one day. (laughs) (laughs) And they drug me to an ambulance and then I went to the hospital and I was stuck on California for a week. And the best part about all of this is it was really affordable and cheap. Just kidding. It was not. The guy, video guy's like, can I film this? I said, please film this. Like, we need, we need to do something because I don't want to reshoot this at all. So they ended up taking me in and it was a terrible time. But um, yeah, we're alive to talk about it. And I think more people found out about my band because of it. So that's the bright side. How's your leg feeling? Is it fully healed at this point or is it still a little sore? Mostly, most, I would say like 95%. It's a little stiff, a little sore sometimes, but overall, feeling pretty good. Can't complain too much. Um, yeah, I don't know. Feels pretty great. With this release coming up, although we're still in the pandemic, we're starting to resume life a little bit, you know, as normal, quote unquote. Yeah. However, as your EP says, it will never be the same. How do you feel that the world and even your life has changed? since the pandemic happened in 2020. Yeah, I think everything is different. And I don't think things are going to be, I think, I mean, the whole sentiment of the record is that like honoring your past, but figuring out new ways to be a better human being. And I think it's a society. We are all trying to figure out how to quote, build back better or figure out like what we're trying to do in this age. You know, it's like a crazy world we live in still. And I think, I think the pandemic just kind of amplified a lot of the terrible things and kind of brought out a lot of the problems and to light in that we had in the world. And so now it's like trying to figure out like, how do we as society and as a world, how do we get better at what we do? And how do we like, how do we become better human beings without like completely abandoning who we are at our roots and our core? And so like socially, we're different. Politically, we're different. Geographically, like the world is literally changing and things are weird and scary sometimes. But um, just kind of like the whole like the album cover is like an old abandoned mall, you know, because Mm -hmm. 
there's not going to be malls in the future. Unfortunately, I love the mall. I love going to get a piece of pizza from Sbarro's. Yes. But there's not a lot of malls left. And a couple of malls, you know, there's a couple of malls, but not overall, the malls are kind of dying out, except Mall of America and Opry Mills, which is the Grand Old Opry here in Nashville. But for the most part, I can't think of a lot of great malls. That was a very long answer, but I hope that gave you some insight as where I'm coming from. Exactly. And now you look and half these malls are already closing down. There's a mall that was called the Fairgrounds Square Mall near here that they actually demolished. And the only thing that they kept was a Boscobs and a movie theater and everything oh, else wow. was gone. And it's just really sad to see. I mean, I understand online shopping's the way it is, but I'm a nostalgic 90s kid and I kind of miss that sometimes. Yeah, the mall was pretty cool. It was like where you learned how to be social. And at least when I was a kid, like my mom would just drop me off at the mall. And I would hang out there for hours and just get a soda and walk around, never buy anything, but, you know, do the thing. Now, when you got your pizza from Sabaro, was it a plain pizza or did you get some toppings on it? You know, I actually could never afford Sabaro. I was just Taco Bell. (laughs) I was just giving you my dream scenario. Well, I mean, even Taco Bell, it's still relatively cheap compared to some fast food companies. But I remember when Taco Bell was $3 for an entire meal. And now you get $3 for just a burrito. Yeah, it's crazy. I remember, yeah, it used to be, they used to have the 89 cent menu or something. Yes, Uh, yes. That was a a big win for me. You know, just get the change out of my mom's cup holder in the minivan and buy myself a chicken burrito. Now, life has brought you on quite an interesting journey. You actually grew up in Michigan before moving to Nashville. Mm -hmm. What was it like to pack up and leave the life you knew behind? Yeah, good question. So, as a whole, Michigan just felt like home. You know, there was Midland is where I kind of grew up. And then I lived in Kalamazoo for a little while and I lived in Detroit for a little bit before I moved down here to Nashville. And, you know, I lived there for 29 years or whatever, my whole life, which is wild to think about. And, um, you know, at the same time, you know, I spend a lot of time in a van traveling and being on the road. And that has kind of like, made probably my move a little less jarring in a way because I've been to Nashville so many times and I've been all over the country so many times in like every city, every city is just kind of like, you know, it's a city, been everywhere. And uh, it does get a little old sometimes, but you know, like it doesn't feel this jarring to move to another state. I still see my family a good amount and um, I'm in Michigan a good amount. But I, you know, like overall, I think it's been very positive for my career and for like, how I do my music and how I create. There's so many people here doing it. And there's so many people here that are much, much better than me, which is really cool to be around and, um, and very inspiring and keeps you on your toes. What was your draw to Nashville as compared to other cities? Was there other places you considered before moving there? You know, I never really thought I was going to move out of Michigan. And, but I came down here a good amount. And eventually I met my now wife, who is one of the re- main reasons why I moved because she lived here. And so we kind of dated long distance for about two years. Once I got to like be here and be integrated in things, it just kind of made sense. You know, I didn't really think I was going to move anywhere else besides Michigan. Never really knew what city in Michigan I was going to like end up in. But it was very cool for me to like find a new place and kind of have my eyes open to like this whole new group of people and a whole new city and a whole new culture, which sometimes has its downsides here in Tennessee. But overall, pretty cool. Cool music scene. A lot of good people making good tunes. I don't know if that's happening at the scale it's happening anywhere else in the country. Maybe Los Angeles. But here's 
a little nicer and a little more affordable. Speaking of cool music scenes, you actually just reminded me of something. You just recently performed at South by Southwest, which is a dream for you know any indie artist to be there, not only to attend it, but to actually be on one of the stages. What was it like to be part of such a well-known festival? Yeah, it's a pretty interesting thing. It's kind of like its own thing. My bass player, my band had never been, and I think he thought it was going to be like a legitimate like Lollapalooza type festival. But it's really just, for people who don't know, it's really this thing where it's just like you're playing two to four shows a day and it's kind of a, a mess, madhouse, you know, trying to load in. You can't park by anything. You just have to rush gear down streets and find parking. It's, it's a kind of a nightmare, but you get to play these really cool shows in front of people who work in the music business and the tech world and the film world. And so there's all these people who can like help you with your career and help you get your music in front of more people. And so I feel like that is really, I mean, it's a pretty no brainer to try to do it. And when you do it, you get to meet a lot of cool people. And, and the cool thing is you meet a lot of bands who are like kind of like similar level as you. So you kind of can see what like other artists are doing and you make new friends. And uh, it, was, it was just a good time. You actually have said on occasion that Manchester Orchestra has been an influence that you've been lucky to share the stage with. What was it like to be seen and accepted by artists that you looked up to? It's crazy. You know, them especially. Like, they're a band who I attribute some of the reasoning why I do this in the first place. You know, I wouldn't be... I probably wouldn't be doing this, like, the way I do it if I didn't wasn't aware of their music and listened to it when I was starting early on. So that being said, getting to, like, go and write a song with them, record a song with them and like release a song with them and then tour with them. They're just great people and great examples of what they're great examples of what you, of how to treat other people. They're so humble and so kind and so giving and generous. And it kind of makes me like, I want to be like that. I want to be like that one day. You know, I want to be like when I get to a point where I can help a younger band who maybe looks up to me, God forbid, Maybe when that when that happens one day, maybe I can like help that band in a way. That's what I'm kind of hoping to, you know, pay it forward in a way. Does the thought of an artist looking up to you and drawing inspiration from you scare you, or does it drive you to be an even better musician? It doesn't change how I want how I want to operate. It changed how I maybe want to treat people. Not that I like treat. I don't try to treat people any bad, but you know, yeah. there are a lot of times where. And I'm, and I used to be in the, on the other side of this where I would message bands who I like thought where I looked up to or dug their music and try to like become friends with them. And sometimes now that that's, and I'm on the other side of it and where these artists are messaging me and it's kind of hard to keep up and I feel bad because I, you know, I have a whole life and it's hard for me to like, it's hard for me to like be buddy buddy with everybody as much as I want to be and like as much as I want to respect people and show respect to them and, honor their message and try to listen to their music. It's hard to do that. It's hard to find the time to 
keep up with that. And let alone like remember everybody. It, it's just very hard. When I'm looking through your discography, your album titles, they seem to share themes of reflection, introspection, and perception. How do those themes fit into your songwriting? I just try to be honest and I'm trying to be even more honest as I continue and trying to like be very upfront with how I'm feeling and where I'm at and the moment where these songs are going. Like not all these songs maybe attribute to the album title. The album title, most of the time, I've never analyzed this, so excuse me while I figure it out. Uh, That's okay. <laughs> uh, the album titles typically are like a summary of how I'm feeling about the world at the time making the songs. And so the songs don't necessarily always line up with the vision of the title, but the title, you know, like that's what I'm going through at the time. So like the first record is, the first EP is called Midland. It's where I'm from, where I'm like, it's my genesis, you know, like that's the vibe, you know? And then the second record is where do we go from here? And that's me saying like, I don't know what to do next because I've done all this stuff by myself and I've worked really hard and I don't know where we go from here. And then got a record deal after that. And like that, like, you know, like the minute I like kind of just gave up and like let it go over, it's like when things took off and then everything will be okay. Eventually is about like the pandemic, like the world is going to be fine eventually. And there was like a thing I was texting my friends. Like I've, I like searched it and like, you can see the first time I texted that to somebody. And now this record is like about post pandemic, post Trump, post like all this other stuff. And it's like, we're not going to be the same, but it's also a, a pretty reflective of my life. You know, like I came up with the title before the record was done. And so now I'm like, just kind of, you know, like what's next now that I've done four EPs, like that's a cycle. Like that's it. This is the last EP that I'm going to make tentatively. My next thing is my debut album, which I haven't had, to, had a chance to make yet, which is, uh, if I would have told you that 10 years ago, I would, uh, there's no way I would have believed that. Like I haven't done that yet. But now I'm at the first time in my life where I feel like I can make a full length record that will stand up and hopefully be pretty solid. Have you given any thought to where you'd like to be with your debut album? Have you thought of any changes in sound or would you expect it to be a continuation of where you are now? I'm already working on it. I have the bookends done. I have the top song done. I have the last song done. I have the middle song. And now it's just kind of filling in, filling in the cracks and, um, it's kind of a culmination of everything that I've done so far, but it's seen through the lens of where I'm at right now. Yeah, that was pretty well said. I think I'm going to write that down and use that for future interviews. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, I'm really excited about it. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to like, it's really hard to say stuff a little bit, maybe about current events and it's really hard to be like, have a voice. And so a lot of times I think artists think it's easier just to, ride the fence versus take sides. But I also think that's pretty um, lazy. So I'm trying to figure out a way to, in an artistically driven and sound way, say something that makes sense, you know, and something that I actually believe and care about because I could just write these pop songs that don't mean anything or aren't, you know, I have a pretty selfish job. I think I get to make music and have people see me at shows, which is really cool. And I do, I really do think it's selfish. You know what I mean? Like I'm not a rock star, but I'm a musician. I'm just like this guy who plays music and people care. And then like, I get to just talk to people about it all day. It's kind of narcissistic in a way, but it, like, it's kind of cool. <laughs> so I'm kind of, um, 
trying to just figure that whole thing out. And but I want to make sure whatever I do with this debut record is like a statement in a way that doesn't sound trite or phony, and it makes sense. You begun writing with co-writers for the first time in your career. How would you say that your creative process has changed or evolved since you began working with co-writer? Yeah, so most of this EP was done with other people. And um, really interesting because I learned so much on what I like and I learned how to be better. Like I'm working with Sean McConnell. He taught me how to like, he taught me how to trim it up, you know, and edit myself, which is like the hardest thing for, I think, for any musician and artist to do is learning how to edit themselves. Like the minute you see a band who's making 30 track records and then all of a sudden they make a 12 track record, you go, oh, they learned to edit themselves. I bet you that's pretty good. And I want to make sure that I can get to that point where I'm not, I want to like, I want the details to shine through and I don't want it to be clouded with a bunch of other stuff. And I think that even that sentiment even shines through on the production side of things too. Like I feel like working with Tony Hoffer in Los Angeles, we really spent time cutting the fat and building on things and caring about each little thing. Like if we're going to dial in a synth tone for 30 minutes, let's make sure you people can hear that. Like let's not bury it with eight guitars, you know, that's kind of something I've always done in the past, which is, I mean, it's worked. I just love building a bunch of guitars on top of each other. And maybe I'll go back to that, you know, who knows, but for now I just, you know, I want to say what I need to say and, and not overdo it. It's a privilege to speak to someone who hasn't released a debut album yet. A lot of times in this profession, we're speaking to artists that are already established that have already released a few albums under their belt. So it's exciting to get to talk to someone as they're discovering themselves and who they are through their musical journey. So with your debut album to come eventually, what are you looking forward to in the future? And what are you most excited to see happen in your career? I'm really, you know, I always, I think probably it was 2017, I released like a song called Fears. My first like professionally recorded song. And I think at that point I said to myself, I'm good. You know, everything I've made, I'm good. This is good enough. I like anything on top of this. Anything that happens from now on is just extra. I'm content with where I'm at. And I'm trying to keep that mentality. Everything I've gotten to do, I'm so wildly lucky to have gotten to do it. Getting to play Lollapalooza, getting to go on tour with some of my favorite bands, play venues I never dreamed of playing. And so I'm at a point now where I'm just so like, if it all ended today, I would be so happy. I mean, I wouldn't be like stoked that my, I don't get to do this, but I would look back and be like, I put the time in and I worked hard for this to get where I'm at. And I, there's like no regrets, you know? Well said, well said. Well, I want to thank you for joining us today. It's been a pleasure speaking to you today, Jason. Thanks, Derek. Looking forward to hearing your new EP when it comes out later this month. And I hope you have a great day. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for chatting. And that brings us to the end of this episode. I want to thank Jason for joining us today and for being such an incredible guest. Please be sure to check out Michigander's latest EP, It'll Never Be the Same, available now on all streaming services. If you like what you heard, please be sure to follow Altwire Podcast on Apple Music and Spotify, and stay tuned for more interviews with your favorite artist. My name is Derek Oswald, and this has been another episode of the Altwire Podcast. Thanks for listening.